0: My name is Phil Stinson. I'm joined today by my colleague John Lederbog. We're both on the faculty in the Criminal Justice Program at Bowling Green State University, and in this podcast we're going to talk about our research study on late-stage police crime.
1: A lot of the research on police misconduct and or crime focuses on the behavior and the misconduct of officers that are relatively inexperienced. Most of the research literature, such as Van Manen's stages and some literature on some of the norms of policing, suggests that officers in the early stages of their career, either right after the police academy or during the initial years of their career, experience uh, cynicism and some kind of culture shock into the occupation, which then leads to some type of misconduct on their part and so we were interested in looking at the misconduct over the entire course of the career especially with an emphasis on some of the misconduct that might happen after the early stages of the career and to see if there is indeed a stable curve here where most of the police misconduct occurs in the first year or two or three or four years, and then declines pretty steadily thereafter. So we wanted to focus or at least do a study on what we termed late-stage police crime for those reasons. We also wanted to focus a study late in the police career because, more generally, we found that the police literature practically ignores problems that occur late in the career and also the transition to retirement. And so we wanted to shed light just on that stage of the career in general.
0: You know, it's interesting when I think of uh, the different research that's been done on police misconduct. There's uh, really two studies that come to mind other than than our own work, and and that's uh, first Fife and Kane. And Fife and Kane looked at career-ending misconduct. So they were looking at really the career from beginning to end of police officers in the New York Police Department. And then more recently, Chris Harris has done uh, research involving another large agency in the Northeast, that he also is trying to look at this, and Chris has put this in what I think is a great way of looking at this. This really is life course criminology, and we're looking over the life course of the career of law enforcement officers. So we have something unique here in that with our initial data set from my dissertation research, we had 2,119 arrest cases involving police officers. Uh, who were employed by non-federal, so state and local and special agencies in the 50 states and the District of Columbia from 2005 through 2007. And of those 2,119 cases, there were 1,746 sworn officers. So a number of the officers had multiple arrest cases, and that would account for the difference in the numbers. And those officers were employed by 1,047 state and local agencies all across the country, all 50 states and the District of Columbia. And when we looked at years of service, in other words, how long they had been employed as sworn law enforcement officers, we have data on over half those cases, 1,434 cases, we have data as to years of service at time of arrest. There were some interesting things that we were able to uncover as to years of service as it relates to police misconduct and specifically police crime. I think there was
1: two or three really major findings in re- in regard to Uh, the relationship between officer experience and police crime that this study brings to the table. One of the things we found is consistent with previous literature in that the crimes that occurred in our data peaked at year four and then generally declined and so in some ways our data do reflect some of the other studies that have been done in terms of police misconduct and experience. The thing that we found that distinguishes this study in a lot of ways is that although police crime declined over time it wasn't a steady decline. There were spikes in police crime later on in the career, specifically at years nine, 10, 14, and 18. And so what we are doing here is questioning the stability of the experienced police crime curve. We know that most of the police crime does occur indeed in in the first, say, five years. But what we're saying or what our data, what we find in our data is that it doesn't decline steadily and that there are spikes in police crime later in the career. Probably the most interesting finding to me was crimes committed by officers who had 18-plus years of experience. These are police officers that are nearing the end of their career. Existing assumptions and research would suggest that they would be the least likely to commit any form of misconduct or crime. We were able to identify 250 different police crimes among officers that had 18 or more years of experience. It was about 20% of all the police crimes we identified. I think that is probably the distinguishing finding in this study. Now, whether it's because we have a national sample of officers from all kind of agencies, we did note in our findings that previous studies sometimes stopped before this late stage of the career. But what it suggests is that the police crime curve related to experience might not be as stable as previous
0: research would indicate. Well, I think several points are interesting, John. Uh, one, the fact that we do have data that extends through the career is really unique. It's not a longitudinal study, but we're looking at officers across their whole careers. So the spike that we saw, there's several spikes actually, you mentioned at 18 years of service. It was interesting when I grouped the data in in categorical measures. So we had, let's say, 18 to 20 years of service and then 20 to 22, 23 to 25, 26 to 28, and so on and so forth. We saw several interesting things. One was we did see a spike at 18 to 20 years, but we also saw smaller spikes because there are fewer officers employed at this many years, but also at 25 years of service, 27 years of service, 30 and 35. And I think that's really interesting, and I think it's important, because if you think of the types of pension plans, retirement plans, that most law enforcement agencies have had up until very recently. It's not uncommon that an agency would have 20-year retirement for sworn law enforcement officers. Some have 25 years, some have 30 years, and some officers actually stay in their job longer than 30 years. There seems to be something going on here that in the two to three years prior to retirement there's an upkick in criminal activity with police officers engaging in misconduct. We can also talk about
1: how these late stagers, if you will, were different from the rest of the sample in terms of some characteristics. Some of the obvious ones are quite logical. For example, these late-stagers are more likely to be supervisors or be in a position of management in the police department, which is probably a function of just being there longer. These crimes tended to be more profit-motivated than the crimes committed by other types of officers in the sample. And also that also probably relates to their position of authority and their ability. They're almost like white-collar crime offenders in the police department in that regard. And then another distinguishing feature of the late-stagers was that they were less likely to be terminated when this misconduct or crime was uncovered. We don't know why that is, but we can conjecture that the police organizations are probably less likely or more apprehensive in simply terminating these officers given the years that they've put in and the experience that they've provided the agency.
0: Not only were they less likely to be terminated, but they were more likely to resign from their positions. And I think when somebody's reached the point in their career where they're eligible for a fairly decent pension, they're perhaps more likely just to throw in the towel when they get in trouble. So I think that may account for the fact that these officers were more likely to resign. Interestingly, they were also more likely to be convicted of the crimes they were charged with than were officers with 17 or fewer years of service at the time of their arrest. A few other uh, findings that I think are interesting and worth noting that you didn't mention yet. The late-stage arrests, the officers with 18 or more years of service we're less likely to be female officers and I think that too is logical and it's consistent with other research that would suggest that first of all there aren't that many uh, female police officers uh, 10 to 15 percent in many agencies compared to the vast majority of the officers who are male and it's not uncommon that women in general in the workforce would come and go out of the workforce during child rearing years you mentioned that they were more likely to be administrators supervisors and managers it's interesting that they were also more likely to be employed by a law enforcement agency that was located in the northeastern part of the United States or the western part of the United States and I have absolutely no idea why if there's something about those agencies that tend to favor longer careers i I just don't know one of the notes that we had
1: discussed in the article about the fact that the late stages were more likely to be convicted might suggest some analogies to the white collar crime literature again the late stages were more likely to be administrators or people in position of power in the agency and it could be that juries and or judges might be more likely to convict them just because of their position of power. We see that in the white-collar crime literature, that when those crimes actually do surface and convictions occur, which is relatively rare, but when they do occur, juries tend to come down harder on, on white-collar offenders because of their position of authority. It's almost like they should have known better, and then they're punished for
0: it. But they're less likely to be terminated, and I think that's interesting. We did find in our study that the officers who were arrested late in their career We're more likely to be demoted in rank. Now, obviously, you can't get demoted if you don't have any rank. If you're a patrol officer, there's only so much they can do with you. They can put you on the midnight shift. They can put you at the front desk at some suburban police station on the midnight shift. They could put you in the property room, I suppose, or at the motor pool. But there's only so many things they can do with you. So late-stage arrests resulted in demotions. Those are officers who kept their job, but they were demoted. So maybe they were a sergeant, and now they're back as a they patrol They had more officer. to lose. They had more to lose. Yeah, exactly.
1: I think uh, it, it's probably beyond the scope of this particular study to draw any definitive policy implications. Again, this is really the first study to ever look at the misconduct and crimes of these uh, late stages are really experienced officers And so we're hesitant to to draw any firm conclusions. But I do think that it leads to some needed discussions about how police organizations can help officers deal with some of the problems that are common to late-stage careers in policing. For example, employee assistance programs often ignore the plight of these officers. There's some unique problems and concerns that experienced officers at the late stage of their career encounter, and may or may not be taken care of by the organization. For example, the buildup of long-term stressors. We know that stress is a problem in policing. I would assume, or police scholars would assume, that later in the career these stressors could build up and result in misconduct and or crime, or some personal problems. Officers at the late stage of their career might encounter psychological problems that are unique to that stage of the career. And then finally, these officers have to deal with the transition to retirement. Police organizations are going to be confronted with a groundswell of officers that are about to retire, and and retirement, especially for police officers who've been in the business for decades, would bring about some unique challenges in terms of loss of identity related to officers giving up their position and their profession, and then more typical problems related to the retirement of anybody, including um, financial planning. And they need to transition into a life a likelihood that uh, you don't have any income uh, going forward or much less income going forward.
0: You know, there's two things that come to mind from that. The first uh, as to loss of identity. I do think it's something that needs to be studied more in terms of the context of when a law enforcement officer is no longer a law enforcement officer. It, it's even deeper than the way that you framed it, John, in that the loss of the badge, the loss of the power that's associated with the badge, the gun that is omnipresent with off-duty police officers seems to be something that many officers as they approach retirement have a great deal of difficulty in dealing with and i have heard that some departments have various programs for retired officers but there's a big gap here in terms of officers as they approach retirement trying to figure out how to move on you know, they've treated their neighbors in a certain way maybe for years. Now, all of a sudden, they don't have that power and the shield to hide behind, if you will, or the persona to uh, go along with it. And I think that is something that needs to be looked into, some of the psychological aspects of that in future research studies. And it was also suggested to me a number of years ago by a uh Professor who I was talking to about some of the research findings and what's going on here at close to retirement age. And the suggestion that professor made to me at the time was a number of, uh, I guess, many retirement systems for uh, government workers and specifically law enforcement officers across the country base retirement uh, pension pay on the three highest years salary or the last three years salary, could be either or, and that because of that. It apparently, in some places, is not uncommon to find that older police officers on the cusp of retirement are working more and more overtime details. They're out there in uniform more than they otherwise have been in the last several years. They're out working with the public more than maybe they have been in some of their supervisory or administrative positions in the last several years. So they're just out there more, putting themselves back into the type of work that they were doing when they were much younger police officers and is there something going on there that would suggest uh, we could explain some of this late-stage police crime and I just don't know I've never seen anything that would suggest that but I do know that not a week goes by when I don't read articles that are coming in in our current research study on arrests over the last few days every week where an officer is arrested who has 18 or 19 years of service. And it's just really bizarre because it's something that I don't think too many people think about the fact that we have in our research here close to 20 percent of the cases involve officers who are very, very experienced police officers. They obviously know better. They've managed to keep their nose clean so that they're still employed after all these years. And yet they're getting themselves, not only getting themselves into trouble with the agency, but getting themselves arrested, criminally arrested. And it just seems really, really interesting to me. And I think we have a lot more work to do to try to figure out what's going on at this late stage of the police career. But I do think it's important, too, to really think back to Van Manen's stages of police socialization. And... I'm not so sure that the socialization of a police officer ends with that fourth year or so where an officer just decides, well, four, five, six years into it, I'm just going to settle down and write it out now and do my job and make it to retirement. There's something else going on here. And there's enough of these cases that I don't think it's a fluke. I don't think this is just a preliminary finding that we're not going to see when we look at more data because everything suggests to me when we run the statistical analyses with our subsequent years of data that we're working with now, uh, we're going to see the same thing. We're going to see yeah, the same I, patterns.
1: I think you're right to focus both on the transition to retirement, because I think police organizations do help officers after they retire, but it's this, our data speaks to this transition and the difficulties uh, leading up to retirement, but I also think your focus on uh, the loss of identity, uh, and I think people that have been police officers probably can uh Relate to that statement more than others, but you know, Crank and some other research have you know, rather eloquently described how police officers are unique in that they are their identities wrapped up in the profession and uh, the ways of being a police officer, probably more than any other profession. And it's almost as if we we know that, but then we forget about it as these guys and girls approach retirement and. I think our data speaks to some of the problems related to that
0: uh, dismissal. Well, in looking at instances where I've had friends and uh you know acquaintances who've retired in recent years from law enforcement positions, it really is striking that some of them don't seem to have any sort of plan B. They don't have a plan as to where they're going. Now, that's that's not the case with everybody. Some people are very ready for retirement, and they have a plan. They know exactly what they're going to do. I know a, a gentleman who was a lieutenant with the Pennsylvania State Police, and he was so annoyed after years of being a supervisor and dealing with state troopers who just could not write very well, frankly, that he decided ultimately that what he wanted to do after retirement was become a high school English teacher, and he had a plan. He was he was ready to go. He had the degree to back it up, and he got a job doing exactly that. On the other hand, I've had friends who just didn't have any sort of plan. They never finished college. They knew, maybe never went to college. They don't have a degree that might be required for some private sector work, even it's quasi-law enforcement security type work, but it might require you know, an education level greater than they have a formal education level, just not having a plan. I know when I was a police officer and I resigned my position, I had a plan. I was going to law school, but I have had a plan at other stages in my life. There's always, you know, something that's going to happen next. If this doesn't work out, I'm going to go in that direction. But I just see that that there seems to be such an identity that's so centered around being a police officer that once you don't have that status anymore, it's almost paralyzing for some of these guys. That pretty much summarizes our study on late-stage police crime, and I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of our podcast.